Hey everyone, Coach Chloe here and I am about to interview an amazing woman and I can't wait you can't wait for you to meet her and hear her story and for us to talk all things recovery. But I just want to preface our audio with um, an apology for the background noise. I've tried to remove it. I'm not sure how much it's going to remove, um, but a club decided to start going wild with their music. So there is some strange background sounds you're probably going to hear. <gasps> oh, I pick up. So I apologize, but I hope you enjoy what we have to say and uh, let us know in the comments. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Get Fit Like an Athlete. This is Coach Chloe. And today we have a lovely lady called Lauren who's joining us from the States. And she is a ex Div 1 MCAA swimmer. And that was her whole life. And I'm really excited to have her insight as being an athlete and having her business working with high performance and helping other athletes with their mindset come in and talk to me today and talk with you all and share her wisdom and her insight into how we can help you improve with your area of running. So I thought today we'll kind of just leave it wide open to what we're going to talk about, but we do have a semi-topic for today and it's more about understanding the importance of recovery days and why slowing down can actually help you speed up in terms of progress, in terms of performance, that can reduce chances of injury. And it's not, you know, like the mindset of, oh, but if I back off, I'm going to go backwards. I'm not going to be improving. But it's actually quite the opposite. And um, Lauren actually has quite a cool story of how she got into running. And she's going to share a little bit about that with us and some of her wisdom about recovery days and things like that. So over to you, Lauren. Oh, well, thank you so much, Chloe. It's so great to be here. Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, I was a D1 swimmer, so I swam for 17 years of my life. Um, and when I came out of transition, I quickly realized that I needed something to fill the physical void. That was probably the biggest aha moment coming out of my transition. And just explain I, transition for people. Yes, when I, yes, absolutely. When I came out of transition from swimming, so when I retired and I graduated from college, there was this like, I always describe it as, you know, when an athlete comes out of transition, they're like climbing this Everest, they're climbing Everest to get to the peak of their performance. And once they get there, they drop off. Like it's, it's like a deadfall from, because you don't have a gradual decline anymore. It's like you get to your last meet, your last game, your last race, whatever the case may be. And you're done. There's no like coming slowly down the hill and finding some things. It just ends. And so for me, that was probably the biggest aha of, oh gosh, I need something to fill that void. I need something to fill the physical void. Cause that's what I was so used to. And I happened to take up running. That was my um, it was quote unquote easy by that. I mean, pair of running shoes, some clothes and get out on the road. Right. That's what I thought. I was like, Hey, I know how to swim. So therefore I'm going to know how to run. Yeah. That wasn't the case. <laughs> Not the case at all. There are two totally different sports. Um, obviously swimming is a very quote. I always say People describe it as a low impact sport, which it is, right? But, you know, compared to running, it definitely is. Um, and it was really challenging for me to say, okay, I, I was a distance swimmer. I know what it takes to have the endurance. So I'm just going to translate that really easily to running. 
And that wasn't the case at all because running is such a more high impact sport. Um, And I learned the very hard way that to take it slow, to take it in short bursts in order to allow my body to um, adjust to the impact. And it probably took me a good year, year and a half to get into my running rhythm. And what happened in between with you sort of like finding yourself and your feet like before we started recording, you were talking about having to take a whole year off. Um, can you elaborate why? Because you kind of yes. already did already. Um, and uh, how it's so common for so many people to think that they can also do the same, you know, just I want to run, so I'm just going to run. I'm going to run every day and I can run 20Ks every day. I can run 10Ks every day, but it's it's really not quite like that. No, the reason why I had to take almost a year off is because I went too fast, too far, too quickly. Um, you know, because I was a D1 athlete, I just thought, oh, I know how to do this. I know how to train. But what happened is, um, I, again, I ran too far too quickly. Like one day I was like, oh, I'll go run nine miles. And then the next day I was like, I feel great. I'm going to go run 10 miles. No, 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 no. What happened is um, my knee got tendonitis so badly, I couldn't even walk. And I had created this, this idea that, oh my gosh, I can do this. But it got to the point where my body literally would not keep up with me. And I had, and I was devastated because I had to take that year off because I I started to fill the void. I started running to fill the physical void. And then I had just completely taken myself out of the game because I got too overzealous and I wasn't recognizing the absolute necessity of recovery days, right? I understood the recovery days in swimming because I was so ingrained in that world. And while I understood the concept of recovery days in running I didn't let myself accept it. Yeah, if that no, makes I understand. Any sense. Yeah, no, I understand. I'm curious if you were aware of, like, did you get little niggles and signs that maybe you should slow down and that you didn't listen to those? Or it just was a bam in the moment, I can't even walk? Or did it slowly come? Oh, it slowly came, right? And, and okay. now I know if I restart to run, I know my knee, my knee gets this little twinge. And that's the thing. It was like, Oh, I can run through it. At the time it was, it'll be fine. I can run through it. I'll ice it when I get home, I'll take some Advil or from ibuprofen and all will be great. Mm -hmm. And I would do that. But then the more that I ran, the more my knee would twinge. And so I would just adjust my body a little bit to either not feel it as much or I could adjust it enough that it wouldn't be painful. But by the time I got home, it was on fire. So anybody who's had tendonitis and inflammation, it almost feels like that tendon inside is like bursting. Mm -hmm. And that's what I felt, but it was just, oh, I'm fine. It's no big deal. My shoulders used to hurt in swimming. I can get past this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would just keep running and running and running and ignoring what was going on. And, you know, as an athlete, we kind of tend to get into that mind frame of it'll be fine. If I just make a little tweak with myself, it'll go away. Mm. Well, you can get it to go away in the moment, but all I was doing was just continuing to pound and pound and pound on that tendon to the point where it was so inflamed. It was like, no, you're not doing anything anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
just made me think of the importance of knowing even, yes, knowing the signs to listen to your body, but then trusting yourself that it's telling you that for that reason, which I think, um, you know, as an athlete, if we had, say, for example, a really big competition, then it might be necessary to push through that or find a way for you to be able to get through that competition. Um, but for our everyday runners, it's it, it, that's never really ever necessary. <laughs> and I think that that's something that maybe people might see on the internet or maybe on, like, social media. Um, they see these people doing constant training, but they don't know the backstory and they don't know what they're training for specifically or what their programming is like. Maybe they don't share about their rest days. And so if you are someone that uses social media a lot, I think that's really important to take into consideration of um, everyone is doing probably a completely different program to what you think. (laughs) And everyone that's in any semi whether it's amateur sport, whether it's professional sport, or they eat, as long as they have a coach, they're probably having dedicated rest days that you probably don't know about. And so we want to talk more about how to schedule that into your routine if you don't know how to do it and why you should do it and how that can benefit your running. Okay. Yeah. So yeah you brought, sorry, you brought up a great point of like, you know, rest days aren't glamorous. And, you know, from a social media standpoint, particularly if somebody is in the fitness world or a runner, right, they want to show you the, they want to show you the workouts. That's the quote unquote sexy part of the whole thing, right? And showing how they're getting their body by doing all of these things. Well, to then take a reel or a picture of your rest day. Well, that's not glamorous. Yeah, it's like, that's boring. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah cool. A picture of you lying on your couch. Yay. <laughs> yeah. But you know what, particularly in something, well, in any sport, really, a rest day is what allows your body to absorb, figuratively, right? So absorb the work that you've done to then build it stronger moving forward, right? So thinking about it from a physiological standpoint, point every time you work out you're creating tiny tears in your muscles right regardless of what you're doing whether you're biking you're running you're swimming you're whatever the case you're lifting whatever the case may be you're getting to the point where you're you're tearing down your muscles and what rest and recovery allows your muscles is the time and freedom to repair those tears and to literally come back stronger a 24 to 48 maybe 72 hours later And the challenge with not creating time for rest and recovery is you can tear those muscles and even any soft tissue, really, you can tear them to the point where they may not repair the way, the same way ever again, Mm -hmm. and creating a detriment to, to your well-being moving forward. And again, they're not sexy, but they're absolutely necessary. And when we learn to really harness and really enjoy them, I think it brings a whole nother energy to it of, oh, it's not just another rest day. It's like, this is a self-care day for me and I'm choosing to take it because I love myself. I love my body. I want longevity in what I'm doing and I want to be able to look after my body in the best way that I can. And this is just one way that I can do that. And I think if when we come at it from that angle and know it's this isn't a chore of resting and it's not like, this is crap. Like, why do I have to do this? It's like, Hell yeah, I get to have a rest day. Like, 
I could put my feet up and do nothing if I really want. And like, I remember my coach once banned me from working out because I could not handle a rest day. And he banned me from coming to training. He's like, you're not allowed to come for a month. And I went psycho at it. I was like, if anyone heard you say this, they would think that there's something wrong with you. Why would you say that to your to your athlete? He's like, Chloe, if you could listen to me and take your scheduled rest day off, you'd be fine. But you keep on refusing to take them. And now, look, you keep getting injured. <laughs> but I was refusing to see what he was saying. And then after I took the time off and I came back faster than I was, and that was after a full month of literally not even doing a sit-up, not doing a stretch. He said, nothing. You are not allowed to do anything. I was like, oh. But then when I came back and I was like, okay, well, that's weird. Why am I faster? I started to think of it a lot differently. Is that even English? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but when I saw it from that angle, I was like, all right, I'm listening. I'm listening now. I'll do what you tell me. And it changed everything. And mm-hmm. so now I really harness that. Um, I love to talk about it as much as I can, but I think visually I'm sure I could show it more as well, but I think everybody on the internet could share more about resting and recovering, that they're actually doing it and so that you know that it's happening. Yeah. I think one of the challenges of rest and recovery is you don't necessarily realize how important it is until you're forced to take it. Yeah, an injury or sickness or something. Yeah. And then you realize, just as you described so eloquently, like, oh, I can actually be faster if I give my body the rest. Because one of the greatest things about working out is the endorphin rush, is the dopamine rush, like all those interconnections. And your brain becomes so accustomed to those highs, right? I mean, when you talk about runner's high, it is such a thing. And when you experience it, you know it. And so your brain can get addicted to those, but it doesn't always translate to the body of like your brain wants to just seek it and seek it and seek it and seek it. And your body is like, well, wait a minute here. Like I can't keep up with that rush. Mm. Right. And so sometimes the rest days mentally are so hard because you're not necessarily, your brain isn't necessarily getting the rush that it's used to. And I think that's the disconnect is sometimes your brain and your body aren't necessarily always on the same page. And so as a whole being really getting into the rhythm or really being very intentional of, okay, I've got to find the balance between my brain wanting the rush and my body needing the rest. Yeah. So for example, then we could talk about the different types of rest days. Like there's passive rest days, which is literally when you do nothing. And then there's the active rest days, which is when maybe you might do some Pilates or some yoga or go for a walk or, you know, some sort of movement that's not, you know, like a scheduled day of training, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, Lauren, if you have that that mental um, intention, the mental intention behind that rest day, you might have a scheduled passive rest day you might have a scheduled active rest day maybe not together maybe separated but if you know I have these choices and I also have these choices and you can choose on if I have a passive day these are my options maybe I can just you know hang out with some friends and do the things that I normally might not have time to do maybe on the active rest day I get to join a friend in a yoga class that I've been wanting to try and make like how can you make it fun I think it's like Okay, if this is going to be this, how can I make it 
how can I bring my energy into it so I'm enjoying it rather than dwelling that it's mm-hmm. not another running day? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, so I kind of followed that same path when I was um, training for marathons many years ago. Um, I would actually alternate. So if I knew a rest day was coming, I think if I remember my schedule correctly, I think I had two rest days in a week. Um, and so one of them would be an active rest day and the other would be a, a passive rest day. So I would, I would find different activities on my active rest day. Like you said, like yoga, Pilates, even just a short walk, or maybe just a light bike ride. Um, and so I would just find ways to make it interesting And then on my passive rest days, to kind of keep myself out of my head, I would either, you know, as you said, schedule time with friends or go see my parents or, you know, find something a couple days in advance to be like, oh, I've been wanting to watch that movie or, oh, I've been wanting to read that book and even scheduling it so I could, I had something to look forward to and I could in some ways distract myself from my brain being like, no, get up and run, get up and run, get up and do something so that I could look at it and say, nope, I'm going to hold myself accountable to this passive activity. Um, Knowing that in my other rest day, I had something a little bit active to engage in, but wasn't pushing myself to the brink. I suppose it's even like, um, it's a retraining of a different kind of discipline. You know, like this is a very mental discipline to, hold yourself back from you know going and wanting to do something like that but I think as well it can also make you quite aware of maybe what you're relying on maybe too much or like you know like that addictive sort of habit or like why are you really wanting to do that what do you think that you can only get from there that you can't get from here um, I've found some people thinking that running is their only way to get you know how talking about those endorphins and that dopamine rush and a few people that I remember having a live call about this and these women were so focused on the only way I can feel how I want to feel is if I run mm-hmm. and if I sweat, but I have to run and I have to sweat. And I was like, okay, that's quite interesting. Have you, have you tried like a yoga flow, for example? You know, it doesn't matter the time frame, but have you tried that before? And they're like, yeah, whatever, whatever not that much or maybe they have but they've completely dissociated that it's even an option to feel that way from something else so then I've encouraged them okay why don't you go and do that and let me know how you feel afterwards and most of the time they all come back and say I still felt how I would feel it's not necessarily on the same intensity scale because obviously a high intensity brings a different level Mm -hmm. but they still felt how they wanted to feel and so that was a big wake-up call for a lot of those people because it was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have to run to feel great. I don't have to run to feel energised. I don't have to run to feel like I've done something or that I feel good about myself. And then knowing that, okay, I can have that balance of all these different things. I don't have to only do this one thing. I think it gave a completely different um, maybe meaning to their training or relationship with their training and understanding about themselves. Yeah. I, I was, I'll say plagued by the same thing for a long time um, because I was uh, a swimmer for so long. I just equated, you know, heart feeling like it needs to burst out of my body. And, you know, a fun fact that most people may not know, you actually sweat when you swim, you just don't feel it because you're in water. Right. And so I equated every workout needed to be 110%. 
And so I was in the same, it needs to be intense. I need to, it needs to be intense. I need to sweat. I need to feel like I'm going to pass out at the end. Right. And when I finally kind of realized and balanced that, right. So we talked about the idea of kind of that endorphin rush, that dopamine rush, and, you know, almost kind of getting addicted to it. What I started to realize on more passive days was it wasn't necessarily always the endorphin rush. It was more about the connection between my mind and my body. So I didn't need to exactly what you're saying. I didn't need to have such intense training to feel it. It was more that I was just getting my body to move and my brain was responding to the movement regardless of the intensity of it. And that was a big aha moment for me too of, oh, no, my brain is just seeking that connection through movement. And you can start, you know, if you, a lot of times when you're on these, you know, on a rest day, you're like, oh, I just need to do something. And even if it's just like, sometimes I find like just cleaning my house when I was um, marathon or training for a marathon, it was like, okay, if I just get up and do something, my brain is just, just wanting to find that connection versus the 110% intensity. Yeah. Uh, so good how you explained it. Um, that mind-body connection is the biggest thing and it's my favourite thing to teach and to talk about. Um, sometimes sometimes I forget to bring it into the running side. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. I bring it in a lot more so with my Pilates work that I do. So it's a nice reminder for everybody. Sometimes, you know, even the other day I was coaching a lady to get back into running after some pelvic floor weakness mm-hmm. and she noticed how calm she felt when she we were just doing a tiny little snail jog. And whilst we were doing it, it was just in a driveway and I was just teaching her some relaxation techniques while she was doing the snail jog. And she's like, wow, I feel really calm, but I feel like I'm so connected to my my body right now. And I was like, for some people, you can use running as a form of meditation. It just depends on your intention behind it and what you want out of it. And so you can use even running for the same thing. If you say the intensity you might normally go at, cut it back to like a two out of 10 mm-hmm. and literally jogging like a snail, like a dog, a cat, everyone would walk faster past you. And if you just literally snail jog at a tiny pace and all you focused on was long, mindful, deep, meditative sort of breathing, relaxing, that's another, I forgot, that's another form of a active-ish sort of recovery. If you wanted to do something maybe for five or 10 minutes in terms of the running way, that's another way that I have included it for some people. Mm-hmm. But I use that as more therapeutic. You know, yeah. That's not really on the physical plane. That is on the mindfulness, holistic, mind-body connection plane. What can I hear around me while I'm jogging? What am I noticing in my body right now? You know, Can I maybe some, some of my other episodes, we have like an affirmation we might repeat throughout our run. So maybe while you're jogging, you might be repeating something like that while you're doing your little snail jog or if you've had a really stressful day, something like that could be enough to just like inhale, calm, exhale the tension out whilst you're running, uh, while you're snail jogging. Yeah. And doing that is another way to tune in, to tune out. Yeah. That's the beauty of running and I think that's why people get, um, myself included, get so into it is because it can be so therapeutic and meditative because you're using the bilateral movement, right? Your body is physically finding the balance between right and left, right and left. 
And that's where you can get into that flow. And that's the beauty of, of slower recovery runs is that it can be a completely different experience, right? Instead of pushing to see what pace you can achieve or what cadence you can achieve, it's more about how can I find the balance and even in my brain of just focusing on right, left, right, left, right, mm -hmm. left, and finding more of that meditative flow versus pushing it for a performance um, achievement or milestone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a beautiful meditative state. It's actually kind of where I can find my deepest meditative state when I'm really yeah. intentional about it. Gosh, we could go on a whole nother episode just on <laughs> using running as meditation. <laughs> exactly. So, well, let's recap then before we finish. So we're talking about recovery and how you can slow down to speed up. Um, Lauren mentioned that she actually has two different types of recovery days that she rotates. And I actually have the same, um, which is an active and a passive. So the active meaning that you do some sort of light movement. And then the passive meaning that's like maybe a complete sort of rest without intentional sort of exercise. Um, so how you could maybe schedule this into your routine, I'll share my idea and then Lauren, you share yours. It depends on how your body's feeling. I think it's important to ask your body um, at the end of it or maybe even in the morning if you're planning on going for a run that day, body, do you want to run today? Because maybe your body's like, no, not again. But if your body's like, hell yeah, like it feels amazing, I really want to jog, but there's also going to be the time where you're going to have to mentally choose to not, you know, to schedule that in whether your body wants the rest or not. So if your body is saying yes, start listening to it and adding that in maybe every second or third day, adding in that rest day so you might have a split, you know, like maybe, I mean, I probably would never run more than four days in a week um, and I would split them all up. So, for example... In terms of a rest day, it could be a run, then it could be a strength or a Pilates, and then a rest day. And then it could be another run, a Pilates, a run, and then another rest day. If you were only doing runs, you could do um, run, run, rest, run, run, rest, things like that. There's so many different variations. So maybe I'll pop some in the, in the notes below. Um, but Lauren, do you want to share some of your ideas? Yeah, I mimic when I was training for a marathon, I mimicked my schedule like uh my my practice schedule when I swam. So every Monday was, you know, endurance, every Tuesday was specialty, every Wednesday was speed, every Thursday was slight recovery, every Friday whatever. So when I mimicked my running schedule, mine were always Wednesdays and Sundays. For me, it was just I knew that Wednesday was going to be a recovery day and Sunday was going to be a recovery day. And then I I chose my my um running workouts or 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 cross training workouts accordingly to say okay on a tuesday i can probably push myself a little harder maybe right depending on what it was because i knew wednesday was coming right and for me it was just i knew they were on the schedule and so i could be very intentional not only in what i was doing in terms of a workout but i knew and it was going to be non-negotiable that Wednesday was a recovery day and Sunday was a recovery day. And then it just helped me create that schedule. If I knew it was coming and I can anticipate it and I wouldn't let myself talk me out of it. Mm, that's really important. I think a lot of people, um, let us know below if you're ever that person that would talk yourself 
out of a rest day. <laughs> I think a lot of people here are going to be talking themselves out of a rest day. Um, but having that schedule, like what Lauren said, I think is really, really important if you're someone that struggles with giving yourself that space for them. If you find that you're someone that would take all of them in the world, then it's also really important to have that schedule like that. Um, if you're using the Get Fit Like an Athlete audio runs, then, for example, like how Lauren said, different days are used for different types of runs. And it's the same thing with my own training now. I have different days for different things but my coach every session I rock up and I'm like what are we doing and then it's different um so it depends on the type of person that you are but if you wanted to follow in that sense then for example I'm just going to give you an example a Monday could be a fartlet and then a Tuesday could be a heel run and then the Wednesdays could be a rest day for example and then if you only had one other run then you could do another fartlet or a speed session but I would never do two heels or two resistance-based, like heavy training on the legs in terms of running in a week, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So it would be like either one stairs or one heels in the week. Two fartlek, two to three fartleks is fine, but only one speed. Mm-hmm. And if you have a combination of these things together, you're going to improve, but then you're going to be able to really utilize those rest days so that you can slow down to speed up with yeah. your progress. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because my Tuesdays in my running schedule were always my speed days, always. And, you know, because I'm in, I'm more of an endurance runner than I am a speed runner. Doing a lot of speed work was, was, was challenging for me just because I had to get not only in the mental frame of mind, but then my legs had to follow. (laughs) Yeah. But then that's why Wednesdays were always my recovery days because I knew that I just needed that time after the break. I just yeah. needed it. Yeah. Um, so it's funny that you say that because that's exactly what my schedule was. <laughs> yeah. So if like what Lauren said, if you are trying to figure out how to schedule it, always put your hardest session the day before the rest day so that you've got that rest time. Don't do your heel session and then a fartlet because you'll feel a lot heavier for that following mm-hmm. session. I mean, if you're doing it for a specific reason or maybe you're loading yourself for a specific reason of volume, that's different. Um, but that's a different intention again. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we go, Lauren, would you like to share where we could, where people can find you and what people can come and learn from you specifically as well? And then I'll share that all below for people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, the website is uh, www.laurenammon.com and, you know, come and find, learn about what performance looks like. So, whether you're an athlete growing up or whether you are just an athlete getting into the later part of your life, you know, performance is really affected. It's not just what goes, how, what you put your body through, but also your mind, your heart, your soul, what's going on in your environment, along with the relationships you've had. So that's what we talk about uh, in terms of looking at performance holistically so that we focus on the body, but we also focus on the five things surrounding that so that you can optimize your performance in any way and every day. And also recognizing that performance isn't linear. And by that, I mean, just because you do something really well on Tuesday doesn't mean you're going to be able to repeat it on Wednesday or Thursday. It's a matter of giving your body, your mind, your heart, your soul, surrounding your environment and your relationships to really figure out how you package that all together and allow your mind and body to grow together. Oh my gosh, now I want to talk longer. That's so funny. Okay, so everyone, you need to go and check her out and you need to look at her blogs because she's got some really amazing write-ups in her blog posts on different topics. 
um, and that's how we actually got talking. So I think that you'll really, if you resonate with my podcast, I think you'll really, really resonate with what she talks about on her blogs. Um, and if you have any questions for her, you can reach out to her in an email or on her social media or something like that if you want to get in touch. Um, Absolutely. So thanks for joining us and for tuning in to Get Fit Like an Athlete. And we will see you on the next episode. Excellent. Thanks, Chloe.